This is Hunt Land, the podcast for land hunters and land owners with real-time rut reports, waterfowl migrations, and how-tos for habitat management and land investment. I'm Joe Bay. I'm here with Clint Flowers today. Clint, how'd your weekend go, man? It was good. It was good. We did a long weekend of hunting in the uh, Safford area. Didn't see any shooters, but we had a good time, saw a lot of deer, and filled a few coolers. Nothing wrong with that. I had a good weekend myself. My wife was lucky enough to take a buck and uh, got it done about three o'clock in the afternoon. So we had time to get that thing out of the woods in the daylight, which is always a bonus. Man, I want to see if it's still going on. I know it was pretty hot last week. We're going to talk to Jay Graddick today with Skinner's Wild Game Processing. And I know there's a bunch of deer brought in. I actually brought my wife's deer by by his Thomasville location. And uh, man, there was a, a line a uh, long way back. A lot of bucks went down this past weekend, but let's let's talk to Jay and see what's going on. Uh, things may be starting to wind down. Jay, you've got uh, two locations, Skinner's Wild Game Processing, uh, one in Thomasville, Alabama, and one in Daphne, uh, Alabama. And uh, man, how's it been going? I was by your place on Saturday and there sure was a lot of deer lined up. Is it still, uh, yeah. still a lot of deer going down? Yeah, they're going down. It's, it's, you know, it probably about a week and a half ago, it started uh, a lot of bucks on their feet traveling, you know, just looking for those first does. Uh, and now it's, uh, there's uh, the hunters are still killing a lot of bucks, but they're, they're not, they're, they're more traveling with the does now. So they're, they're catching them getting close to this lockdown time, either coming into a food source with a doe or, or in the woods, just, uh, but not, not that heavy chasing like you saw, uh, about a week 10 days ago i was talking with matt brock who's given us a rut report uh for the northern part of the state here before and he was telling me kind of the same thing for the northern part of the state that it's dwindling down but but those those deer are either locked down or they're kind of moving into a post rut but it's, it sounds like it's still a good opportunity for guys in south bama but you really got to find those does you got to find the does and you know and, and think about it you, a lot of times when these does and bucks are, are uh, during this, this lockdown period, they get away from the crowd. Uh, if you've got a, an area that uh, is kind of off the beaten path, you know, maybe not your green fields and things like this, but, but a little, uh, a couple of hollows or, or something or a nice little thick area, they kind of get off by themselves and uh, spend a few, couple of days. I think the, a buck will tend to doe for about three days from the time that they start to come in to the time it's done. Uh, sometimes it can be as long as three days. Another good thing about it is, you know, our, our uh, February 10th is going to be on a weekend. That's going to be Sunday when our season goes out. And based on the information I think Sykes was giving us when they extended the season, that they determined that a lot of these does are bred around the 4th, 5th of February. So what that's going to mean is uh, once these once this first cycle of does are bred, that's when you start to see another cycle of the of the mature bucks on their feet looking for the next doe or trying to trying to extend it a little bit. And it's a really good opportunity to kill a mature deer by itself. I think that last weekend in hunting season. It's interesting to hear you say that about you know kind of getting away from the crowd. I, I mean, I think all hunters want to find that spot where nobody's been but a lot of times it's just finding that really thick spot and matt brock was saying that a few weeks ago that it's really that buck will push that doe into a really thick area to keep her away from other bucks absolutely so it's a, it's yeah, definitely well, I, a good i strategy. had some luck myself uh last week i saw two bucks on a doe in a real tight where i hunt there's a lot of hills and hollow 
and there was one that was really tight had a lot of lot of brush in it i just happened to see them over there and uh i couldn't get a shot at the at the bigger buck uh, that morning so i went back the next morning i waited till 8 30 and i went back the next morning and slipped in there and uh caught them uh if you drew a circle it wouldn't have been 200 feet from where i saw them the day before how about that and uh and shot one of them they don't travel great distances during this time when they finally locked down with that doe they may they may stay in a small you know five ten acre 20 acre area all day but it is fun to hunt i'm glad alabama's getting an opportunity to actually hunt the, the true rut you know that third week in january we get a pile of bucks that's when those deer first get on their feet and they're interested in getting the rut going it's like that everywhere you get a lot of buck activity but now is the true time that they're that they're hooking up with the does and and spending a lot of time together and they'll breed them here soon well jay uh, clint and i were talking last week just about how many big deer have gone down are you seeing the same thing there at your facility absolutely i i i, I don't remember and i don't think there's ever been a year that we've had as many uh large mature deer come in uh we took in i think it was 49 uh the other night and out of the 49 deer that we took in there was only one doe there might have been a spike or two but everything else was uh you know nice eight ten eleven you know just real nice deer good body weights definitely not a lot of two-year-olds you know a lot of three-year-olds and up were they killed in the area oh yeah there there's a you'd be surprised there's a lot of good deer hunting around thomasville alabama I'm from Clark County. I understand we're we're severely underrated. <laughs> yep. Well, Jay, go ahead. Thanks for the report this week. If folks want to get in touch with you and and get an idea of what what your facility does, how do they do it? Well, they can uh, uh, call me at two five one four zero two eight eight five five, or they can come by our place in Thomasville. It's uh, when you're going uh, forty three there. There's Hardy's. Turn uh, if you're going north, take a left. Go to four-way stop sign, and we're down there on the right. It's on the west side of Thomasville. And then down in uh, Daphne, it's right there on 181. Drop-off deer there. We actually process everything in Thomasville. Great. All right, Jay. Well, man, good luck with the rest of your season. Thanks for the report. Yeah, guys. Y'all be good. Thanks, Jay. Bye. Well, Clint, we're not going to do a duck report today, man. It's uh, it's probably wouldn't have been much of much to report anyway. I think a lot of duck hunters are pretty happy to say farewell to this season, and hopefully, uh, hopefully things will improve next year. It's been just a tough year. Were you able to get out there and and do any good for that last weekend? We did. I, I figured it was going to be more of a symbolic hunt for my five year old, which some of it was. But we got on a few mallards the first morning, had a very lackluster wood duck hunt the next morning, and then we went one afternoon and got a few wood ducks and a few other random species just to have a nice little mixed bag, which, which he was thrilled about. Yeah. Well, that's what it's all about, really, uh, is Absolutely. getting out there and having a good time. And, I mean, we all want to do well, but uh, spending time with family and, you know, one of the things that can definitely improve uh, your ability to kill more ducks is having some, some private land to hunt, uh, whether you're leasing it or owning it. But being able to manipulate the pressure, being able to manipulate the habitat to hold some ducks, attract some ducks, uh, it's something that uh, I think most waterfowlers, most deer hunters want to be able to do. So today I want to talk with you uh, about that a little bit more. And, and really when it comes to land is, is how you can sell land and how you can buy land for that, that matter and, and make money. So, you know, Clint, you and the Gulf Coast Office of National Land Realty have been the top producing office and yourself the top producer 
nationwide for the last three years running. Tell me a little bit about volumes. What does that mean as far as production for for national land? Well, our group as a whole statewide sold over 161 million in land last year, just in 2018. And we've got five offices in the state as well as uh, more in I think we're up to almost 25 states now and looking forward to further expansion. So one of the good things about national land is, is that when it comes to different types of land, uh, we, we really have done run the gamut as far as the different ways you can make money uh, on land, uh, whether it's timberland or farmland, uh, recreational properties, uh, all the way down to folks that are installing solar. Uh, we've done a little bit of all of it. So, you know, when we talk about being able to make money on land, what are you, what's the first thing that you look at when you're talking to somebody who owns land, we're talking to somebody who's looking to buy land, what, where do you start? Well, I try to explain to everybody that cheap land is not always good land. Many times you get what you pay for and understanding what really comprises value on a, on a piece of property is, is extremely important. Because, I mean, this is just like a, a garden at home. You know, the, the better the soils and the more you put into it, uh, nutrition-wise, uh, the more it's going to produce for you. And so if you don't understand that, you just walk out there and, and have become an Internet expert on land within, you know, 30 minutes. And you think all land sells for X or between X and Y dollars per acre, uh, then it's a good way to lose a lot of money uh, and do so quickly. Yeah. and. You know, I think there's probably two groups that we we can lump people into really when it comes to making money. It's you've either got folks that are looking for short term gains uh, or folks that are looking for long term gains. So let's talk about short term gains a little bit. What kind of things is somebody going to do if they're wanting to make money in a shorter time frame? What what are they going to use land for? How would they do that? Well, and and to clarify for our conversation today. There's a lot of intrinsic value to me on a piece of property of using it with my family and friends and kids. And it's hard for me to put a value on that for other people. So we're going to stay away from it and just talk about pure investment. And for short-term guys, that's, that's more about sweat equity. So if you think about a fixer upper on a house, you'd be talking about adding roads, food plots, uh, water features, if that's feasible, you know, anything that helps you get in and see and utilize a piece of property better, but doing it in a cost effective way. So to make it analogous back to, to a home, you know, it's the guy who goes and, and he sees a, sees a home that needs new coat of paint, uh, maybe needs some updating and, and some things so that the next buyer down the line can see, can see that value immediately. Uh, really, it's forcing appreciation on that property. What other things besides, say, those aesthetic uh, features or those recreational components, what else can somebody do as far as a, a short term to make a property more valuable? If you've got a timberland track that's been moderately managed or not managed at all, that you can help get it into production in general or to a higher level production through you know, understory management, burning, spraying, uh, might even include a full site prep and planning, you know, take it, take it bare and start over and properly stock it and, and, um, you know, do things like that to help the long-term value of the stand of timber on the track, uh, which is may not be important to you if you're planning on being a short term owner, 
but it will help you sell the property to people who are looking for long-term investments. So it, what it does is it increases the size of your buyer pool for that piece of property. Well, you talk about timber a lot. I know we, you know, that timber's king in the South and definitely in South Alabama, but you know, what about agricultural land? So is there anything you can do there with ag land to, for a short term gains? Typically what we see there is you want a change of use. So the, the easiest example I've, I've encountered is, you know, old fallow pasture that may be in an area where, um, row crop is in high demand and it's a track that would convert well topography wise into row crop. So we've gone in, removed or, or gotten rid of the grass there, converted it, worked with the farmer and over about a year to two year period, get it converted to row crop. And it took the rents on that property from about $25 an acre up to, depending on what market you're in, anywhere from 40 to $150 an acre for row crop. And as we've heard, there's even a few examples of higher than that, but that typically is the range for our part of the state. Uh, again, depending on where you are, number of farmers, competition, things like that. But at a minimum, you've doubled your rent rate, plus or minus a few dollars, uh, all within a one-year to two-year period. So now you can use that cash flow to sell it on uh, the same way you would sell a rental property uh, of any kind. Uh, it's Most of your true investors are, are basing value on the income stream. So if you increase that income stream, you can now sell it at a higher price. Right. And anything for that matter. I mean, businesses are the same way. It's uh, this future income is a, is what's going to establish uh, the purchase price uh, for purely an investment. Well, we talk about short-term gains a lot, and that's certainly a, a, an interesting angle. You know, a lot of guys I know are you know, sitting on the sidelines waiting for their perfect property. They're, they've got it in their head of what they want to have when the, the property they're going to keep forever. But do you see a lot of guys that are able to just buy what's available now, fix it up, own it for a year, two years, maybe a few years, enjoy it in the meantime, and then sell it for a profit, roll that into another piece of property? Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, and if that's the route that an investor is going to take, I always recommend that they use a 1031 exchange to do so. What that does, it allow you, allows you to transfer all the profit and your equity, your cost basis, everything into the next property to where you kind of keep that snowball rolling, keep building that nest egg. And then eventually you can leave that for your family or you can cash out years down the road, but you haven't paid capital gains taxes along the road, which would have set you back a few steps. You've, you've made money on those tax savings along the way. And all the people that I know that have built the most wealth in land, especially rural land, have utilized those in every manner possible, both forward 1031 exchanges, reverses, anything they can do to stop from paying taxes on that profit. All right, Clint, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, When we come back, we're going to be continuing to talk about how to sell land and make money. Hey guys, we get a lot of landowners that want to know, how much is my land really worth? We've recorded a video series to explain exactly how we determine that. Just head over to landhunting.com slash go to get the series. I'm confident it will help you achieve your goals. That's landhunting.com slash go to get the series. And we're back. Today, we are talking with Clint Flowers of National Land Realty. And Clint, uh, before we were 
took a break, we were talking about how to sell land, but really it's, it's how to own land, how to buy land and, and be able to make money because it all plays in every stage of it. So looking forward to uh, continuing that discussion with you. Before we took a break, uh, we were talking a little bit about 1031 exchanges uh, and the importance of sheltering uh, any profits that you're making from taxes. Yeah, that's a, a big factor that people don't consider many times. If you jump into a piece of land and let's say you're lucky, you fix it up, you sell it quickly within before you've owned it a year and a day, you know, you pay potentially a higher rate on that profit than you would had you held it long term. Because uh, after you own it a year, you get your subject only to long term capital gains, which can affect, you know, really how much money you take home from this investment. There's a lot of people like we talked about that want to keep carrying this forward to the next track, to the next track, to the next track. And that may be for true investment purposes, you know, from retirement, uh, kids, college funds are just, I want to own what I can own now, but I know that I want to grow it into, I want to start with 40 acres and grow it into a thousand, you know, whatever your mindset is, if, if it's based around growth, then 1031 exchanges are a great tool to utilize to do that. And it is important to point out that this is not tax avoidance. It's, it's, you're deferring those taxes into the future. Right. What that allows you to do is make money on those savings in the interim. Um, but it's, it's a wonderful tool. Well, there's a lot of things that land offers uh, that other uh, asset classes don't offer uh, when it comes to uh, taxes and it comes to really long-term uh, gains that you're able to make. So, uh, you know, back to what we're talking about, is what's that in what's that investor's goal? Is it a short-term gain? Is it a long-term gain? So let's talk about long-term gains a little bit. What are some of the things that, that folks can use land for? Why would they want to buy land uh, or uh, how can they make money selling, selling their land when we're thinking about long-term gains? Well, we'll start with timberland. That is a long-term investment in and of itself day-to-day. Okay, that's the design of it. It's stable, uh, it's reliable, uh, it's easy to track, and you the, the trees are growing. It doesn't matter what's going on in the political world, in the stock market, anything, those trees are growing. So as long as you're, you've got a good site that's well-stocked, properly managed, it's growing just in pure weight every day. Well, Clint, you know, you're talking about those trees growing really every day, uh, obviously. What, what are we talking about, 4 to 6% growth each year in general? Yeah, just off of pure size and weight of the tree itself, not the value of the product that in the product class that it's in, but that's that's pretty standard for an annual growth rate that I see. So I think one of the interesting things we talk about making money off of land, uh, you know, we're talking about timberland here, is that there's some interesting things that go on with basis, the basis that you have in a piece of property. So explain that to me. Yeah, and um, that also applies back to that annual return because that growth of the tree is just one part of the, the annual growth because each year uh, you get a portion of that stand that grows into either more of the product class that it's in or if it goes through product change, you can see double digit returns in one to three years very quickly. Uh, and in the right location, right markets, it could be more than that. It could be triple digits. Um, so the actual growth rate of the tree itself is just the one part of the growth then the value of that product that it's in is the second part. And you combine those for an annualized growth. Now that's back but, to like what we were talking about with John Ross Havard of going from say, uh, you know, pulp wood to 
to saw timber uh, or saw timber to poles. You know, you can see those grows. But when we talk about basis, how does basis uh, affect taxes? So if you buy a track of land that's got, say you paid $2,000 an acre for it, and you determine that at the date of closing, and you do this through a forester, it doesn't necessarily have to be for a formal cruise. Um, those are helpful, but not always required. It can just be an opinion. Um, let's just say you determine that at closing of that $2,000 an acre, it had $1,000 an acre in timber value. What that means is that you can take $1,000 in income from that timber and pay no taxes because it's not a gain. It's a recovery of capital where you basically converted $1,000 in value from a standing tree form into a liquid form. Uh, there was no gain. It was just a conversion. And you can do that over time. And then there are certain activities that you can do with timberland and add back to that basis, like site prep and planning or even mileage to the track and certain activities with uh, you know, installing fire lanes, management activities that you can either add back to your basis or you can write them off, capitalize them in the year of the expense. Uh, it's really just up to you how you want to treat those. So those are, you know, a lot of the tax advantages to Timberland that people don't realize are out there. And when you combine those with, with other approaches to investment value, it, it really pays off. Joe, one other thing I would like to point out before we move on uh, about timber sales is that on top of that basis depletion, as long as you've owned the property over a year and a day, any other timber sale that is a gain uh, is taxed at long-term capital gains as opposed to ordinary income rates the way that rental property and rental income would be. And when I say rental income, that also includes ag land. So in short, agricultural rents and income related to that are taxed differently than timber sale income. And it's important to keep that in mind when you're analyzing a land investment. Well, it, like you said, uh, there's a there's a lot to learn, a lot to a lot to know. That's one of the reasons why you definitely need to work with a land professional when it comes time to sell. And if you're going to buy, I mean, really, you need to talk with someone who's been through this before and and understands all the different ways you can make money. But when it comes time to sell, really, what do people really need to be thinking about to make sure they're getting the most they can for their property? Maximum exposure. And properly pricing a track are the probably the two most paramount points that I can can give people. I see a lot of sellers that want to have this inflated price and and say, well, you know, people make us an offer, and you know, we'll just put in this thirty percent negotiating room and and wait for those offers. Well, in reality, in my experience, the truly qualified buyers, they're good, respectful people, and they're not the types that are going to come in and take pot shot offers at tracks. They just don't make them at all uh, because they don't want to offend the sellers. They just move on and, and look for a more accurately priced track. So my advice is always to price aggressively and negotiate less as opposed to putting big prices on tracks and, and hope to negotiate more within this, this wide window of cushion. What about, you, talk a, you talked a lot about taxes. Do you recommend that folks get with a tax professional when it when it comes time to sell or really just anyone that owns land? Absolutely. You know, anything I've said here is, is through my experience as a broker and a landowner myself, and you should consult with your tax professional on anything that, I've, that we discuss here today. But it's been an arena I've been, been running around in for a long time now. 
What, uh, Clint, you were talking about exposure. When it comes to marketing properties, what are you, what are you guys doing that's making you so successful? Well, we're a, aggressive about it. I think, you know, generally speaking, we want to lead the pack on marketing and the land business. Well, Clint, you talked about exposure being really important when it comes time to sell your land. So let's talk a little bit about that. What's the most important thing when it comes to marketing these properties? Really to get it out there uh, in front of as many people as possible in the shortest amount of time. Time is money. And we try to be as time and cost effective as possible for people. And in today's world, that starts with the internet. I think the latest stat that uh, we tracked down on this was that 92% of people start their land search online. So that's where we focus most of our marketing efforts these days. And that includes social media all the way through. And we still do a lot of print ad. We still do a lot of expos. We still do, you know, all of the traditional things, but we also try to look into the future and see the disruptors that are coming and see around the corner, if you will, so that we can remain at the forefront of the market when it comes to advertising land. Well, I think you bring up an important point there, Clint, as far as advertising goes. I I know a little bit about advertising and the most important person that you can get in front of is the guy that's looking for the thing that you have. Uh, And search engines are are the the place to begin uh, when it comes to that. If, If you're land, if you're marketing land and it's not showing up when people go to Google or Bing or Yahoo and they're typing in land for sale or hunting land for sale, then you're missing a, a big opportunity uh, to get in front of a buyer. That's a person that's that's got the money. They're looking to buy. That you got to get in front of those people. But you were talking a little bit about being a disruptors in the industry uh, and some new technology. There's always something new changing literally every day. Let's talk a little bit about some of those things. One of the things is photography and video. And people being able to get a good idea of what a tract of land is like before they ever set foot on the property. Tell me about the, the newest technology that, that you've got going on uh, with regards to that. Yeah. And so a lot of people are familiar with, you know, property tours with single videos and, and good pictures. And those are always nice to have. But what we have seen or the feedback we get from a lot of customers is, once you've seen five property videos, you've seen them all. It's going to be pretty pictures of the trees and the creek. If it's all a five, six minute video and they don't know where anything is on the property, they just know it's another video with trees and streams and deer. And what we did was, you know, our, our team behind us is the key to all of this is something that nobody else in the industry has is just this development team and marketing team like we have that are behind our agents and our brokers behind the scenes just constantly supporting them and building new technology and efforts for them. And what they were able to do is to break the video and and photo aspect down and geo-reference it on a drone-based 360-degree aerial. So you can actually have a bird's-eye view of the property with geo-referenced information, uh, everything from basic text to photos of a food plot. If you want to know what that food plot there looks like, hit the image, it blows up for you, you know, exactly where that is and what it looks like. Uh, we've got videos that are geo-referenced. So you want to see a video from that particular part of the property, you'll see a short video there and then you can move on. And it's a true virtual tour as opposed to just watching 
a video or just scrolling through pictures. So by the time you get to the property, many times uh, as a buyer, you've already seen it. You're really just kind of confirming that what you saw is correct or seeing it from the ground as opposed to the air. And what how that has helped our clients and our sellers a lot is that it holds people there on your listing longer uh, as opposed to just leaving, going to browse around the internet again. They stay longer. Uh, they're more engaged. They're more interested. Uh, and our conversion rate on a view to a call or email to the agent is much higher than a conventional listing without it. Yeah. If you want to experience this, guys, just go to nationalland.com slash land tour 360. It's really neat. Uh, just the thing I really like is the geo reference of photography. You know, you can tour the property from, from an aerial perspective, but then, you know, you've got game camera photos even where you can say, look, this is where that photo of that buck was, was taken. Uh, it's really neat to be able to drop from aerial down to ground view and get an idea of the, the topography, the landscape, also, the thing I really like about it is being able to get a look at the neighbors and what the neighbors have going on. We talk a lot about location and how important that is when you're buying a property, but when you're marketing a property as well. Uh, this this is just a really neat technology. You're the only only place that you can get it is is with National Land. So, well, Clint, man, there's there's certainly a lot to this discussion. We're gonna we're gonna hit it more uh, in future shows. But really, if you can't uh, afford a property uh, and if you can't uh, make it make sense financially, then it, it just becomes an expense. And if, at some point, that, that can become a stressor. And, and that's the most important thing is that you're making a good financial decision uh, for yourself and for your goals moving forward. So I appreciate you sharing a lot of the different ways that, that you've been able to make money on land, uh, but also see other people make money on land. I look forward to continuing this conversation in future shows. But if folks want to get an idea of how much their land is worth uh, and, and, and get an opinion of value uh, from you, how can they reach you? Give us a call at the office at 855-NLR-LAND. Email me at cflowers at nationalland.com or just find us on nationalland.com. Well, that's going to wrap it up for us this week. Folks, we want to hear from you. So email us at pros at landhunting.com. Got a show idea or a question you want us to ask? Just email us at pros at landhunting.com. We'll see you next week.